0: K-Squid listeners, it's every other Sunday again, and you're listening to Sustainability Now, a bi-weekly K-Squid radio show focused on environment, sustainability, and social justice in the Monterey Bay region, California, and the world. I'm your host, Ronnie Lipschitz. We hear a lot these days about innovation and entrepreneurship and their role in the digital economy. It all sounds good, but what does it really mean? And why do I and E matter? My guest today is Nada Milkovic, a multidisciplinary educator, entrepreneur, and artivist who teaches a wide variety of subjects from entrepreneurship, digital storytelling, and the ethics of emerging technologies. She works with students of all ages, from 11-year-olds to college, MBA, and graduate students. Nada is program manager of UC Santa Cruz's Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurial Development, and is developer of an instructor in UCSC's Crown College Innovation and Entrepreneurship courses, along with Crown Provost Manel Camps and others. She's also a fellow K-Squid programmer. Nada Milkovic, welcome to Sustainability Now.
1: Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure, Ronnie, to talk with you. I've always been a great fan of yours.
0: <laughs> well, we've known each other for a while. Um, well-
1: it's the sustainability that yeah. you have been working um, both in the school at the university, as well as in our community. And I want to thank you for that.
0: Okay. Well, you're welcome. Why don't we begin with some definitions? Um, what is innovation and why does it matter?
1: So I also like to start with definitions as um, an instructor. I think that being able to understand each other and, how we define words. And so I'm, I'm glad you asked me that question. Innovation is basically anything new. It can be a new idea. It could be a new feature to a product that's already out there. It could be a new art piece. Innovation means basically uh, creating something new, something different.
0: But um, does that mean that, you know, I mean, some innovations produce negative outcomes right i mean you're...
1: well yeah we're not putting a value on it um okay. innovation just simply means something new of course when we start talking about moral frameworks and then putting our innovations through some testing um yes you're right some innovations should not be made um frankenstein being the epic uh example of of you know and which we actually teach in crown college in our core we have our incoming freshmen read frankenstein because huh. crown is the science and technology and ethics that's our theme is the ethics of technology and we attract many of the students that are planning to be scientists and engineers they come to crown college And so we want them to um, speak with each other, and that's why we have core. And the reason we give them, um, we assign Frankenstein is because of that very simple idea that just because you can make something doesn't mean you should.
0: Well, I've just read a book called Frankenstein. I can't remember the name of the author, but it's a sort of a riff on, on Mary Shelley's writing the book and then a contemporary version of the same thing. Um, And the other thing I was thinking about is, is all of this uproar over artificial intelligence, you know, uh, threatening extinction. And I keep thinking biological intelligence hasn't done that well either. Um, But, but why, why does innovation matter?
1: Uh innovation at depending on how you want to slice it from an uh, or lens, let's say, what lens do you want to use? from an economic point of view, uh, innovation uh, drives economic growth. Mm-hmm. Um, innovation can also improve quality of life, uh, uh, improve the living standards. Um, it can solve um, wicked problems, societal challenges. Um, it enables individuals and organizations to adapt and compete and thrive in what we know is a rapidly changing world in many different ways. Uh, again, depending on what lens you're talking about, whether we're talking about the environment, whether we're talking about technology um, and the threat of artificial intelligence, um, you know, it's it's uh, technology. I think has actually helped speed up. Um, all kinds of things in the world Um, because we have uh, instant messaging and we have um, the entire library of the world at our fingertips on the internet. All of these things, I think, um, contribute to this feeling of rapid change. Well,
0: you know, I'm something of a technological Luddite, not in the sense of of wanting to destroy things, but, but in the sense of trying to assess the social impacts of new technologies and innovations before actually acting on them. That, of course, does not happen, although with these artificial intelligence letters, which are surprising, um, that seems to be a, a desire. I mean, I think about nuclear weapons and the same kinds of letters that were written back in the 50s well, in the forties and the fifties about that particular innovation. Well, we have a broad well, we, idea, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, we talk quite a bit about um the the creation of the nuclear bomb and the use of it also um in adjacent to Frankenstein because that's another Product that we right. could say um, that was made and shouldn't have been made, and has a lot of ethical implications around it. Um, when they made it, they weren't even certain there there was a possibility that they were going to destroy the world, and they oh. did it anyways. And there was and they- a
0: possibility it wouldn't work, right? I mean,
1: right.
0: right. So, well, we have a broad idea of what entrepreneur means, but over the past couple of decades, it's acquired a particular meaning in the context of Silicon Valley. So maybe you could explain that to us as well.
1: Well, I also would like to start with the definition of entrepreneur um, just for our audience so that we're all kind of on the same page of what I mean by it. Uh, It is a French word and it brings two words together, entre and preneur, which means with, and to, um, to bring together. So we have this between bringing together. And so I think of the entrepreneur as somebody that brings um, an idea together with resources. Now, naturally, there's a lot of risk involved um, when you're doing that, uh, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But that, to me, is the most basic definition of what an entrepreneur does. They bring together the resources to create something innovative. And so entrepreneurism um, is, is something that I... I have to couch and give context to when I speak to my colleagues, such as yourself, because um, there has been a neoliberal definition that's been attached to it. And I don't bring that neoliberalism to how I discuss the word entrepreneur. My parents immigrated from the former Yugoslavia, a socialist communist country, where they were entrepreneurs. So I believe that entrepreneurs are everywhere. They're they're in every political system. Um, they're people that bring things together. They're also people that look out at the world and see a problem and figure out the solution and who would best be served by that solution. And so uh, I like to start about my entrepreneurship beginnings were as a baby when my father got a load of a bunch of eggs and was able to rent an huge incubator and started a chick production company and um, hatched these eggs. I think he had, had 180,000 eggs. And my mom um, would take the hatched eggs and sell them at the farmer's markets that were all over uh, Belgrade. Uh, in the outlying villages of Belgrade and that was how they were able to make enough money to be able to come to America my dad had a full-time job but the the um, amount of income that people were getting at that time was to you know barely cover their needs they had two small children um, and so they were able to have a very high quality of life Um, but there was no savings involved. There was no way they, they were going to be able to make enough money to actually buy four plane tickets from Belgrade to, to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so I'm here because my parents were, and continued to be entrepreneurs when they came into this country. Um, so it's also going back to the definition of entrepreneur. Um, it is somebody who sees a problem and figures out a solution for that problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what's associated with with innovation and entrepreneurship often is the term disruption. And um, I wonder if you could say something about that, because that seems I mean in the sort of, you know, general understanding, or at least, you know, people who claim that they're entrepreneurs often talk about the necessity of disruption. Um, So what do they mean by that?
1: So we could take a step back for a second um i saw a talk by steve blank who is a stanford professor who helped develop the lean startup method which is what right. i teach in most mm-hmm. of my classes he's also a neighbor he lives in pescadera and he gave a, a talk to a. Uh, our cruise hacks. So that's an event that we have every January for years, we've been doing it and students get together and for the whole weekend, they um, work on a, on an idea and, and build something. It's a, it's a maker, it's paradise. Mm -hmm. So uh, Steve was the, the key keynote speaker for that. And he argued that to be an entrepreneur, you have to be an artist because you have to be able to see something that no one else sees and you need to be able to come up with a solution that no one else you know comes up with because they don't even see the problem and one of the biggest kind of examples of that would be Steve Jobs creating the smartphone or the better smartphone there were smartphones before the iPod, ipad or iphone but um you know they weren't as smart as the iphone And his big problem was a real estate and the real estate was in his pocket. And he was like, I've got all these things that I want to keep with me. I want to have a camera. I want to have a telephone. I want to have an ability to text people. I want to have a video camera. Uh, I want to have a modem so I can get online. And all of that is taking up, you know, real estate in my pockets. Why can't I just have one product that has all of those features involved with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you could say that the iPhone was a disruptor, and that we're still actually, I think, having the outcome of that massive disruption, where all of us can have, you know, access to the internet and see and learn and and find anything we want, really, as far as information. And so disruption, for entrepreneurs is kind of the holy grail. Like if you can come up with an innovation, an idea that will somehow in uh, disrupt an entire platform, an entire industry, an entire sector, then it, it, the VCs, the venture capitalists will um, write those checks to you and um, get that disruption made. Now, what are the ethics around the disruption? Again, that's a neutral term in itself, but how it's used is a whole nother question. For instance, Uber. Uber is a disruptor. What did they disrupt? They disrupted the entire taxi cab industry. How did they do it? Well, some might argue in a very um, unethical manner by going in and being very cheap uh, at the beginning, getting that market, taking it away from the taxis um, who have to charge higher because there's all these costs involved with driving a taxi insurance and having your uh, certification to be able to drive. And uh, um, they were able to do it at a much lower price. Um, I believe they started in India. And uh, um, once they had the market cornered, once they had disrupted the taxi industry, then they were able to shoot up their costs because at first they were actually losing money. But then once they had cornered the market and they had a monopoly, they were able to charge as much as they want. So Uh, just go on, go on. Well, it's again, it's that that idea that disruption itself is a neutral term, how, how the disruption is actually implemented. um, And uh, at what effect, And if we start thinking systems, thinking like ecosystem, what is the entire ecosystem that you're disrupting? um, It may be that you shouldn't be disrupting it.
0: (laughs) Okay. well, one of the things that you just mentioned was that, you know, Uber managed to corner the market and become a monopoly or at least uh, sharing the monopoly with a few other companies. Right. Um, And we've been taught, of course, that monopolies are a bad thing right that what monopolies do is once they they control a market is they can jack up prices because you have no alternative um so that's how how do you counter something like that i mean um does the government step in and break up uber
1: well that the, there is regulations that we have to we have to think about um you know there, there may be another innovation that will disrupt Uber and Lyft and these other ones. Maybe there'll be an innovation where somebody comes up with a a system or a platform that allows anybody to be an Uber-like driver. Um, We have had regulations to try to rein in uh, the monopoly aspects of Uber and Lyft. and i don't i'm not sure if some of them worked very well actually um one of them was to have to treat your uh drivers as if they were workers um and uh you know i i, I don't want to speak to it too much because i'm you know i just i just know uber from well i'm i haven't studied uber but i don't i i think our main Way that we can do it as lay people is to demand that there be um, regulations and that it has to come from the government. I also think that there are uh, innovations that will continue to disrupt that specific sector. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had had one of my students who was in Crown Core who um, was very upset when we discussed how uh, Google um, and Facebook, uh, sell our data. Uh, we're basically, we're the product we're right. being sold to the advertisers. Right. And that was very upsetting to them. And so, um, one of the, we well, we'll, we're going to talk about what I do at the center for innovation and entrepreneurial right, we will. development. We will. And one of the things that we just had was a competition and the student, um presented and was actually one of the runner ups they they did get to win uh some cash um and the whole idea was creating a system where you can continue to keep your data your pictures uh your or um whatever you happen to be creating um private and not have to use um, these platforms that as soon as you put those things up on that platform you are no longer the owner of that Thing. So let's say you take a picture and you put it up in Facebook, Facebook now owns that picture. Um, and, and so I think that continuously being innovative and seeing, you know, we have had this disruption with Google, we had these search engine um, algorithms that were able to help us search faster on the internet um that system then realized that the way they were going to be making money is through selling advertising selling uh the the data of their users to advertisers so that they can slice and dice and figure out their exact market and be able to do tests on those markets and you know all those things that you do as an entrepreneur and now you know the we're seeing the results of that. And people are like, no, that's wrong. Um, if I make something, it should be my intellectual property. And so how do I get around using these big, big platforms to keep control of my IP?
0: In, in this case, you're divide, defining intellectual property as what we in our everyday life do, right? Mostly on these platforms. I mean, the, the thing is that, that um you know if you take those away it will become impossible to do those kinds of things and therefore the intellectual property will not be produced i mean that's there's there's that that contradiction right and of course if somebody is worried about their photographs being stolen they can always use a camera right an old an old style <laughs> camera right i mean i mean you know well, that would be that would be seen as an innovation i suppose right that
1: well, the um, the thing is, Ronnie, we're in a digital world. I, I'm
0: not arguing w- with this. I am just, you know, right. thinking I mean, about the contradictions.
1: Right? Yes, right. we can go analog, and and there is, you know, people are keeping that alive. You probably saw the whole trend with vinyl. People are going back to app, you know, to get records. They they don't want to have to well, have digital music. They want that's the
0: commodification of nostalgia, isn't it? Okay, I mean. Uh,
1: is it or is it the people that have very sensitive ears and want to hear the music in an analog form?
0: Yeah, I know. I know those kinds of arguments are made, right? That The fidelity of, of reproduction of sound. And sure, there are going to be some people who do that. But, but you know, it's also a faddish. But, but again, we don't have to go there, right? So, I mean, it's sort of an innovation on an old, uh, an old product, an old technology. OK, and um, uh, there are all kinds of contradictions. I mean, I saw you did an interview in one of your classes with Donna Haraway. Uh, right. And I mean, Donna Haraway has been writing about these kinds of, of social contradictions for decades. And I'm sure she brought those up in the in the class. Um, but mostly we don't see them. Right. Unless someone draws our attention to them. But, you know, we could we could do I mean, that's a whole a whole class, a whole book, a whole lifetime, you know, talking about those kinds of things. Um, I saw that you've been involved in several startups, and I was wondering if you could tell us about your experience in, you know, launching, I guess, being entrepreneurial and launching an innovative startup. Um, I saw that two of them succeeded and two of them did not. So I'd like to hear about both successes and failures.
1: Sure. Um. So I started um my first startup in 2009. It was 2008, 2009. It was right after I. Well, just to give a little background to myself, I was a construction manager for 20 years, and uh, made made some good money, did some good work. I ended up working, um, getting specialized in the train sector uh building uh Mm. stations for the bay area rapid transit and the valley transit authority Mm. and i think i I ended up making 12 or 13 stations um in total and so i got to the point where in my construction career i felt like if i wasn't doing something that was benefiting the world i wasn't going to do it and when i mean the world i mean gaia and nature and so um i had to um that's how I ended up in, in trains. And so in 2007, I um, applied and got into the uh, master's in fine arts program at UCSC in digital arts and new media. I was a uh, uh, um, repressed uh, artist. <laughs> an, an
0: early adopter, too, as I recall, right? Yes,
1: yeah. yes. And, and got incredible an incredible tra- training, both um, was able, able to gather skills Um, in the digital realm and also theoretical ideas and that was when I met um, Donna Haraway and of course um, the Cyborg Manifesto being one of the biggest uh, writings of of the 20th century late 20th century that was really used in media theory um, Mm. and and you know thinking about this this whole new world and, and for our audience that doesn't know about the cyborg manifesto it was written out of the idea that we uh, it came out of the space program uh, of the 50s and the race to the to the moon between the USA and and um USSR and the idea that we were sending creatures into environments that are not livable we we weren't made to our bodies weren't made to to be in space um they our bodies are made for a specific range of temperature and a specific um you know percentage of oxygen and a certain amount of water and mm-hmm. those are the the you know the the ingredients that we need for life mm-hmm. and so we started sending you know at first we started sending mice up into space and then of course dogs and monkeys and we made sure that we had figured it out so that when we sent a human hopefully they wouldn't die and these these creatures were um you know having to be put into these environments that mimic earth so that they could survive right and so um they would put little tiny um dialysis uh you know for kidney function on these little mice and put them encapsulate them in in little you know uh, uh, the air you know for the oxygen and and all of these things um and so it it was from this kind of extending the physical body into a space or into an environment that is not um Mm livable. Mm-hmm. And so that is the cyborg. The cyborg is an addition to our bodies that allows us to um function in inhospitable environments. And so the, the the idea um you know can be extrapolated to where you know you could say that my glasses are uh, being you know is a, a is a cyborg like an appendix that I've added to myself or, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, what people are doing now where, um, they're innovating and, and using their bodies as the tools or the, the medium with which they're innovating. I'm thinking of an artist that, um, is colorblind and created a digital feeler-like, uh, tool that they, um, had embedded and that is, um, you know, attached to their uh, brains so that they can actually see colors. Oh, oh wow! Um, and um, you know, arguing that um, this new technology that they've developed for themselves can actually not only be a disruptor but also uh, p- perhaps save uh, energy and help us with our. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a fight or what we're trying to do with dealing with climate change, because we wouldn't need lights. We would have the ability to see in the dark. And so all of the energy that it takes to to light up the world for us after the sun goes down would would not be needed and argues that it's these technological innovations that can also be used in our Fight against global warming and and climate change, and you know, um, saving energy, being more sustainable.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, in in that case, of course, there's a, a significant behavioral element involved, and again, that's another rabbit trail that we could go down, but probably we shouldn't. Um, I did read recently that that Elon Musk is a, is asking the FDA for permission to do brain implants. And I'm assuming the brain implants are essentially smartphones, right? It's um sort of full spectrum kind of stuff. I mean I wrote a piece about that ten years ago. Um, but you know, never mind. so anyway, so so we're they're talking about your them,
1: they're calling them brains on a chip, so it's basically <laughs> a, a tiny chip that has all of these different functionality, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and
1: uh, you know, um. I'm not sure exactly what Elon is developing but I know that I've had students also talk about developing these kinds of um solutions for people that have uh problems where maybe their yeah, yeah. their brain doesn't work with their their, their gut and their yeah. gut you know isn't functioning well and so this this uh brain on a chip would actually be able to communicate with the brain in a way that is broken somehow Mm -hmm. in the physical body. Mm
0: -hmm. We were talking about your startups, you know, and we got sort of distracted. So let's get back to that. Okay. So I
1: made the, I made the vow to myself that once I got my degree at UCSC that I would no longer, do the construction world it wasn't feeding my heart it wasn't feeding my soul i wanted to do something that i felt was bettering the world and so um, we started a media company and we had uh, um one group of people and i learned a lot about uh how to start a company i was very blessed to have started it at next space which in two thousand and eight was mm-hmm. one of the first co-working spaces right. I had ever heard of in the world, probably.
0: <laughs> um
1: that was started with uh, Jeremy Neuner and um our former uh super
0: uh, um yeah, I remember I I can't remember his name either, but yeah, yeah, he, but he, I remember next space. Yeah. Yes, Ryan,
1: Ryan Coonerty. Ryan Coonerty. Ryan Coonerty. Yeah. And um they they along with some other partners started this uh, co-working space and they really att- attracted the entrepreneurs they um had uh this co-working space where you rented a room um it was a subscription type um revenue and then you had uh, the cooler and the printer and the refrigerator and all of these different amenities that are really helpful for people like a beautiful conference room um, that you could bring your clients to and not have to, you know, rent a, uh, an entire space with the conference room. You could see how that would save save costs for a, a a startup, an entrepreneur. And part of what they did was also they would have these brown bag um startup uh, nuts and bolts of starting your own business and they would have all different kinds of themes from how you use these different tools to validate your business idea to how do you do accounting how do you uh, stay up with the regulations that um, the federal or the state government have for startups or how do you uh i remember one that was really interesting was what's the psychology of getting your customer to pay you um as a as a freelancer uh so we had all of these really great education educational events and these lunch these luncheons and and we really formed a strong community that i still feel very uh bonded to mm-hmm. uh, and and so we we started maybe a little too big with the first company there was mm-hmm. um four co-founders um that uh had not been vetted maybe by each other as much as we have i always I always tell my students when you're writing a partnership agreement, make sure you have an exit strategy so that when you don't love each other anymore, because at the first year you're in love, you're like, oh, we're together, we're making this beautiful thing. And then something happens, life, and then you're not so happy with each other. And that's when you're trying to come up with, well, how do we break up, right? So you always want to make sure that that um, exit strategy is is in your contract and is agreed upon from the very beginning because you want to be able to cover yourself when maybe people aren't in love with each other anymore. Um it is the biggest risk for an entrepreneur is to partner with somebody else. Um and then we tried the 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 remaining tried to continue working on that and I ended up realizing that I really needed to go out on my own and um and I started my company called Artist on Art. Which has uh, basically media making content making uh, education um, and uh, uh, helping people uh, create what they needed with their with using digital tools mm-hmm. I just um, am putting that uh, business aside um, because I've been really. Um, focusing on my second startup, which began in uh, the beginning of COVID, and my co-founder, uh, Toby Corey, and I uh, started this program where we connect college students who have digital skills because they are born into the digital world and are you know know very well how to use the tools. We connect them with business owners, uh, startup entrepreneurs who are perhaps a little older or perhaps they don't have the bandwidth to create that online presence that is really fundamental to any business today. Um, We in Santa Cruz, uh, we're a tourist town. We get usually three to 4 million tourists a year. Many of our businesses in downtown Santa Cruz were simple brick and mortar businesses. Tourists would just walk in off the street and you know buy that candy or buy that hat or whatever. Um, and so those businesses thrived for, for decades. But when we had the global pandemic and we had these social distancing practices to help curb the death rate and, and, and try to help people be safe. Many of our businesses in downtown Santa Cruz had no digital presence. They had no website. They had no Facebook or, or whatever social media um, social media profiles so that when social when social distancing practices were put into place, their revenue streams came down to nothing. They were completely constructed, yeah. constricted.
0: constricted. Yeah. And
1: so Toby connected the dots. He knows that there are students that have these incredible skills. He knows that there are these clients, uh, potential clients, there's a market um, that was gonna be needed very quickly. And so he called me and said, because I was already teaching at uh, UCSC in entrepreneurship, he said, hey, I've got this idea. I reached out to the best students that I'd had for the previous two quarters, invited them to come and create this class with me. We co-created, there was 10 students and myself, and we co-created the Get Virtual platform. Mm -hmm. We um, had our first client was the, Pacific Trading Company. Uh, they didn't have a website uh, when hmm. COVID started. And what was interesting about the Pacific Trading Company is that they have no interest in having an e commerce website because naturally people would immediately think, oh, it was just put up all your products on the internet and sell it that way. That, that's not how the Pacific, that's not the ethos of, of the Pacific Trading Company. They are a personal shopping company business they have um the merchandise uh curated for their market for their customers uh i am a huge lover of the pacific trading company they have been gathering uh who are my favorite designers and will call me uh, when my designer is on sale (laughs) to come down and, and you know and that they have my size so they know what size, they know what colors I like. they know they know they know what I like to to dress in. And so what they had us do was create um, the website, and the website would have a calendar, and you could sign up for a virtual personal shopping experience. So you would sign mm-hmm. up and at one o'clock. Uh, they would take their smartphone. And either Zoom or FaceTime or whatever, you know, video conferencing they use in real time. And they would run around the store and they'd say, how's this? How's this? This is in your size. This will go well with this. They would do their personal shopping. The person would pay for it over the phone and drive up to the curb and get their get their products. Mm -hmm. So the students are trained on understanding their business that they're working with, their client. For instance, like I said, um, book, the uh, Pacific Trading Company. Uh, they didn't want to do an e-commerce website. Of course, we have other businesses that wanted to get their their products into the virtual realm as quickly as mm-hmm. possible. As they mm-hmm. Selling it, um, and so we we also build e-commerce websites. Of course, uh, but the students do a. We have a process that was created. The students have an interview. They have a script um they talk to the potential customers they find out what their needs are uh they come back they ask the the team do we have uh they figure out what what the scope of work is what is it that the the client needs they come back they ask the team do we have the skills needed to give an outstanding service to this person to this um business if yes then uh, the, the team creates a contract. Um, they propose it. The customer says yes or no. They change it or they, they sign it. And then the students create whatever is in that scope of work with an associated schedule. Hmm. And we've been doing that since um, March of 2020. Hmm. And we've had um, nearly 250 businesses that we've built websites for and social media campaigns where we create uh, social media profiles for the business. Um, and we uh, work uh, very closely to be able to get them what they, what they need, what will help them grow their business. And I'm happy to say we've had many, many uh, repeat businesses come back and yeah. say, okay, we did this, now I need to do this. Um, and so we're uh, really excited about that. We've had over 300 students go through our program. We also created a Coursera course through UCSC, so anybody can take the class for free. There, the, the big difference is uh, in our classes, we um, do outreach, we, we help connect the student teams with a customer or a client. And in, in the Coursera, uh, there is no yeah. venture, yeah, sure. it's all, you know, asynchronous sure. on their own. And so they have to either come up with their own client or, or actually create a website for themselves. So they are, in essence, their client.
0: Well, you know, we were going to talk about the Center for uh, Innovation and Entrepreneurial Development, where you're program manager, Right. What, what does the center do? And and does it have a relationship with the crown program?
1: So the, the center, we call it SEED, the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurial Development. I'm the project manager for it. I work with Manel Camps. Manel is the faculty director for the center. The center began 50 years ago with... Uh, Fif- Fifteen. Raffiner, Fifty.
0: Fifty. It was,
1: it was, Yeah, it was created in the late 70s, nearly 50 years. Wow. Um, And it was started by Rapinder Kapani, who is known as the godfather or the grandfather of fiber optic cable. He Mm -hmm. taught at UCSC for 20 years in the physics department. Mm -hmm. And he really wanted to bring the entrepreneurial spirit uh, to UCSC. And the center has been doing that. Uh, And... There have been many different programmed uh, directors. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: we took the center um, from Sue Carter, who is the provost for Rachel Carson, where you were previously the provost. And Manel Camps is now also the provost for Crown College. And so the the center um, has had it's ups and downs. Um, Sue really brought it to an up. She was able to get a very large fund uh, from the Nas- National Science Foundation Innovation Corps. Uh, she was also able to get um, create partnerships, for instance, with uh, Blackstone, which is a entrepreneurial uh, organization uh, throughout uh, the United States and. With uh, these partnerships, she was able to also um, create some of the things that we still are using today, uh, some of the events. For instance, she started the Slug Tank, which is a business pitch competition similar to Shark Tank, except we're Slug Tanks, we're much nicer (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, in our feedback to our businesses. And so uh, we... We have these competitions, so we have um different programming. Some of it um, is built upon the foundation that we received from from working with uh, with sue being the director. and then we also oh, um, have added on to it. Um, Manel became the director in I think it's going on two years now. I think it's July of 2021. And then I became the project manager uh, recently. Although I worked as I worked in the in the capacity as interim um, until I was officially hired this past December of 2020. And what we've done is we're um, we're really uh, using uh, different uh, programs um, to help develop or as we say, foster the entrepreneurial mindset. Um, We have these courses that I started telling you about. Get Virtual is a a course, Crown 95. Uh, We've created seven different entrepreneurial classes. Now, we did them in Crown because Crown as a college has the liberty to be able to create classes Um, You know that yourself from having been the provost at Rachel Carson. And um, didn't you create the uh, minor program for sustainability?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, Through the development of classes and then having enough classes to be able to have a minor. Um, So students that go to UCSC can get a minor in sustainability through the Rachel Carson College. Uh, And so we're doing a, a similar thing in in uh, Crown College uh, by creating these different classes and having them um, have, you know, very strategic, uh, their uh, general education courses so that we're offering courses that students need. Um, They need to have a certain number and a certain category of of general education classes to be able to get their degrees. Um, And so we, created these classes that would be open to everybody um any any discipline any any department that they're in uh, we take everybody everyone is welcome and we also have a new um class Uh, one of the classes has been created for graduate studies so we have graduates that had been taking it all along but now they get actual credits uh, for taking the um one of our first classes called Crown 90, which is a, a startup entrepreneurship mm-hmm. academy. And it's based on Steve Blank's class that is taught at Stanford University, where we talk um we we take the students through the process of the lean startup method, which I'll yeah. be happy to mm-hmm. talk to more about um in a little bit. And so now we have uh, that same class, uh, it's 290, for for our graduate studies, because honestly some of the best ideas are, are being created uh, in graduate studies. <laughs> so helping those, those students be able to create business plans around their studies, their work, uh, I think is really, I think very helpful for them. And so we have classes and then we have competitions. So I mentioned a slug tank. Uh, we also have uh, our annual UCSC business pitch contest. This is our sixth annual that we just had last Thursday. Uh, it was open to the public at the Coconut Grove. It was in... Um, in uh, programming with uh, the Santa Cruz works job fair. So the mm-hmm. last couple of years we've been coupling them together. So we do the competition in earlier in the day and then in the afternoon, there are uh, local businesses that come and uh, that, that need to um, uh, have jobs uh, positions that they need to be filled. And so uh, we just had that um, this past Thursday. We had 21 student teams. These were all undergraduate student teams uh, come together with all different kinds of products and services. It was a really wonderful event. Uh, We had five fabulous uh, judges, and we gave away uh, $50,000 in cash to Hmm. our our students. Uh, We had one student um, team win the overall $10,000 $10,000 prize. And then, um, you know, I think there was actually nine teams that won 11 different prizes.
0: Well, Nada, not not we're, we're coming to the end of, uh, of our time together. And, you know, since the, the show is titled sustainability now, I have to ask you, how does all of this relate what we've been talking about relate to, you know, sustainability and the environment?
1: Well, I I really believe that the digital realm is a tool for sustainability. Instead of me having to drive my car over to wherever you are for us to have this interview, we can do it through the digital realm. So we're Mm -hmm. saving Uh, resources by having our discussion this way and of course you can think about all the different ways that um, we use video conferencing in particular for sustainability. I um, am super proud to have had a class approved that I'll be teaching for the first time this summer in Costa Rica called Eco Entrepreneurship. Hmm. And this class is specifically about building businesses around regeneration of nature mm-hmm. and how and one of my biggest beliefs is that we can use the entrepreneurial mindset to solve these wicked problems that we have. And if we can bring an understanding that we can actually work with nature and be able to sustainably extract from nature while also giving back to nature and creating business plans around that type of interchange or exchange, then I think that we uh, could actually solve many, many problems that we have today and hopefully curb some of the negative effects of global, global um, climate change.
0: Are, are any of your students engaged in trying to start up you know, sustainable related uh, businesses?
1: Yes, the students, um, I'm very overt with how I believe the entrepreneurial mindset can help solve these very large problems and those problems being the environment, um, the, the social justice, injustices. And so um, the classes really have that kind of, like if we're going to build a business, we can do more than just make a profit we can actually benefit the planet benefit Mm -hmm. people and Mm -hmm. all the living creatures in the world and make a profit that's last though
0: okay well i'm afraid we're out of time so so nato thank you so much for being my guest on sustainability now
1: oh ronnie it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for inviting me
0: If you'd like to listen to previous shows, you can find them at ksquid.org backslash sustainability now and Spotify, Google Podcasts and Pocket Casts, among other podcast sites. So thanks for listening and thanks to all the staff and volunteers who make K Squid your community radio station and keep it going. And so until next every other Sunday, sustainability now.